Life Audio. Welcome to the Jesus is All We Need podcast with me, your host, Jason Sotil. This is a show where we dig into the personal testimonies of people in the news, celebrities, and folks just like you and me in a way that will leave you encouraged. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Jesus is All We Need podcast. Hey, welcome to another awesome episode of the Jesus is All We Need podcast. Today, we are going to have a really great show covering a bunch of topics that I know are super relevant to uh, what a lot of you are going through out there. Today, my guest is my friend Adam Davis. Adam is a retired police officer, author, speaker, and just all around great guy. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Honored to be here. Yeah, man. Hey, so let's start off with how long were you a police officer and where were you a police officer? Yeah, I was a police officer in southeast Alabama uh, from 09 to 15. And so uh, I didn't officially retire. I was only there for about six years, but uh, did a lot of different things while I was there. Started on night shift patrol. Did day shift patrol, traffic homicide, criminal investigations, hostage negotiations. Uh, wore a lot of hats and, and loved it and, and really uh, missed aspects of it to this day. So, Yeah. Yeah, you know, being in public service, it does get a hold of you. And when I say retire, what I'm getting at is you moved on. It's like with me in the fire department. It wasn't an official retirement. It was an injury. I had to move on. Yeah. So it's like retiring a part of your life oh, and yeah. moving into the next. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I know for a fact, with a lot of things that you went through as a police officer during that time, God was using it to prep you for the next phase that was coming up, even maybe when you didn't see it. When you look back in your career, do you find that even before you decided to move into a new career that God was uh, setting you up? You know, uh, looking back, I could see it. But in the middle of it, all I thought was this was prepping me for a you know, 25, 30 year career in law enforcement, which is what I wanted. You know, that's, that's what I wanted. That's why I started it. And then it, right. and then, you know, he had different plans, but I can see how he was preparing me for it the whole time. Yeah. Now the audience, they haven't read your newest book, Unconquered. So I know the story, they don't, but let's talk about 
why you ended up leaving the police department and what started happening during that time of your life that maybe uh, God spoke into you and said, hey, this is a spot where I want you to move on and move forward. What, what was it during your career that happened that got you uh, moving on into a new direction? Yeah, so it, it was a Sunday morning. I got up and there had been some things that had happened and I'll, I'll touch on that, but I, um, I got up on a Sunday morning and I was just getting dressed and put my undershirt on and my vest on and my uniform shirt on and, and I heard this still small voice that said, today's the day. And it wasn't an audible voice. It was just a voice I recognized I knew, uh, because that voice had guided me many times before. <clears throat> and, you know, it was about 5, 5.15 in the morning, something like that. And I remember my wife sitting up in the bed, and she said, today's the day. And I knew exactly what it meant. And mm. tears began to run down my face, and I turned in my paperwork. But before that, I had, you know, when I got into law enforcement, I felt like I was a pretty strong Christian. I was going to church pretty regular, uh, reading my Bible, listening to Christian music, and I was doing all the things I should do that I felt like I should do and felt like I could handle it, like I was squared away. And and the problem was I was taking some baggage in with me that I never really dealt with. So when the squad parties came around and we'd get together and go drink, <clears throat> the drinking turned into not just at the squad parties, but really when I was at home and I was drinking pretty heavy, pretty often. <clears throat> and... And I turned into somebody I never really wanted to be. I turned into a monster. Um, and when I say a monster, I mean I was isolated, withdrew, hard, callous, cold, emotionally numb, and just completely shut down and withdrew from my family. And, you know, for me, that led to a place where, you know, I felt like there was only one way out. And it was because of the redeeming love of a living God that rescued me. He redeemed me. And he's the hero of my story. It is not <clears throat> It is not because of anything I've done. It is not because of any good deed. It is not because of any action on my part. It is only because of his goodness and his faithfulness that I'm here today and his love right. that changed everything for me. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, it led me to a place in a patrol car where some things uh, happened and, and changed from there. Right. So when you, I want to kind of backtrack a little. Yeah. Um, we'll hit it in just a, a couple minutes here. You've ha you had some pretty traumatic experiences as a child. I mean, and, and that's just downplaying. That's, that's just silly talk, if you will. Your, your childhood, man, some crappy stuff happened to you to keep it real, right? And you had all of that with you. Now, here's a personal question I'm going to ask you. When you became a police officer, did you think that that new role might actually help fix some of that pain inside of you. And the reason I'm asking that is because of my crummy childhood. I really thought that my job as a fireman would actually help heal me and make me better. And, and it would be able to suppress some of those feelings. <clears throat> Did you find the same thing by becoming a police officer that you were hoping it would make you quote better? <clears throat> to be honest, I never even, I had not even thought about it. I had, I had addressed Ooh. it several years prior um, about mm -hmm. five years prior, I, I, let me rephrase that. I had began or begun to address it. I thought I was addressing it, <laughs> and right. and you know what that looked like was just verbally acknowledging I forgive, I forgive the people right. who hurt me, and 
you know, I, I got into law enforcement. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was focused Ooh. straight up on becoming the best law enforcement officer that I could be mm-hmm. um, and doing the best job that I could do. And But the, the problem is even the burdens we try to ignore, even the pains we try to ignore, they, they're still there. You know, you can pretend they don't exist, but they still remain. And in order right. to in order to uh, sort of address them, we have to expose them to truth and expo- expose them to light. And the more you try to suppress them and deal with them and put on a mask and smile and say, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm great, whatever, there's still something there eating away at you in, on the inside. And so it wasn't until later that that needed to be addressed. Right. So that's kind of what was also affecting you dealing with, you know, all the struggles that you have to deal with as a a cop, if you will. And then, you know, the the, um, unfixed or the unresolved issues of your childhood. Now, like I said, I've read, I know your story, we're friends and stuff. Would you mind sharing a little bit of your past and your childhood with the uh, audience so they can kind of get an understanding? Absolutely. I, you know, I started when I was a little boy, my mom and dad divorced. Um, when I was about five and I remember being left with a neighbor who was an older male and, uh, he was a friend and friend of our family. And, um, because my mom would leave and go to work or whatever. And so he would keep me <clears throat> and he started off his start off pretty normal. Like I get to watch the good cartoons. The ones that end was like, that's all folks. And they, they, that was when they were the good cartoons. <laughs> Right, and, right, right, and and you know, let me eat cereal and fix me breakfast, play outside, whatever, and and at some point it turned into him. You know, I could still see the VHS tape going into the VCR on top of the console TV, and and it was porn. And it wasn't long after that that he began to do to me the things that he saw on the TV or that we watched on TV, and. um that that was not just a one-time event it was uh i don't know how long it lasted i can tell you that after that that uh my you know my one of my parents would take me to the doctor because i couldn't control my bowel movements and i developed a speech impediment and so they were trying to figure out all these things but nobody ever knew what happened and you know that wasn't the only time it would happen you know about 10 years later it would happen but this time from a leader in the church and I was left at 15 years old with a you know to be babysat by a woman in her 30s married with children she was a leader in the church worship leader singer and there was a lot of looking back there was a lot of manipulation um, and just pure evil cloaked in sheep's clothing and it was really 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 bad I mean you know I how it affected me, I wouldn't realize for years, you know, that, that ended when I was about 16 and, you know, she would make me strawberry daiquiris with Bacardi and tell me that I was there as part of God's plan for her life and a healing for her life and all this other crap. And, um, yeah, it felt good. It was fun. But Mm -hmm. at, at some point when I turned 16, I realized something wasn't right. And I called my dad and I locked my keys in my, my, my vehicle in which I drove a very, 
very sexy vehicle. It was a Geo Metro two door hatchback manual. Oh man, you were, you were the mint, man back mint then, green, like, bro. <laughs> mint green. It was it was. A hey, bro, you know, to, to interject before I finish up with that, <laughs> the part in, in here where your dad kind of comes into play there yeah. is looking back at it. How, bro, as a child. Do you even realize how you were able to carry it the way you did as long as you did? Or what did you feel during your childhood years, man? I mean, it just, God, yeah. bro, it just sounds horrible. And when I, when I think back at what all those two events, 10 years apart, um, it, there was a time I would look back on it and it would really piss me off just being really blunt mm-hmm. because I could see yeah. what it robbed me of it. It robbed me of of having um, a real bond with my own dad, and it was not because he ever did anything to me. Dad, my right, wife right. were two of the only people that ever fight for me, and mm-hmm. you know when I look back and see that and think about it, I was really awkward. Um, I was I was really isolated, um, and really. You know, in in a in a way, I was I was wounded for a very very long time, and that's all I knew. And so I grew up with this real stronghold of fear, like that was the number one stronghold in my life because it began at a young age. Fear of punishment, fear that this guy was going to kill me because he said he would if I told anybody. Right. Um, fear that I would be in trouble, I would be punished because I had done something wrong as a little boy. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of fear, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. And so I carried that in a lot of respects and, and in different areas of my life and trying to right. build friendships and all that good stuff. So it was, you know, I did good in school. I could never work on, I never really did good in like reading comprehension uh, or different mm-hmm. things like that. But I'm, you know, I did all right. I mean, I wasn't like a stellar academic, but I did all right. right. You know, I right. Passed. But you kind of like... <laughs> You kind of like the way I explain it, and I never, and just to be clear, because I never want to take away from anyone's stories or traumas or say, oh, I understand, because if you know me, I hate saying, oh, I know what you went through. That's one of the worst things I think we can say when we're, we're, you know, trying to give sympathy and empathy with someone. But I think you can find sometimes some recognizable traits by experiencing sort of the same thing. And for me, growing up under a system of abuse, which was a different type of abuse, which was more emotional abuse and, and not being wanted by, by your parents, what I ended up doing is I found myself, I lived inside my own head. Oh, you know absolutely. what I mean? It's like, yeah. And did you find that that you more like lived inside your own head to try to get your way through life? Yeah. And and there's still times I, I find myself still trying to do that. And, and right. it's just... You know, if you don't address the wounds of childhood or any wounds, you're mm-hmm. you're gonna live in that place of, of like survival mode, trying to survive, right. and that's what I was doing. I just tried to survive, and you know, in turn, right, exactly, and, and, and that's what I was going there. Yeah. Like, get that that when you're a kid, the only place to survive sometimes because it's not like you're out earning a job, bringing your own money, and paying no. your own rent and all that. You're surviving by living internally sometimes, I think, is something I find. And the other thing that I'm not going to say I find interesting, that I find actually disgusting, though, but it's kind of true, is later when you're teen years, it's almost like a predator It could sniff that out, you know? And, and sometimes I see that, that predators are good at sniffing out, not weak. I'm not saying you're weak, 
but sniffing out the weaknesses mm-hmm. that sometimes can develop based on that hurt of our past that is unaddressed. And then yeah. it becomes a cycle where another predator comes in. Do you, wh- what do you feel about that statement? You know, I, f- I feel like that they not only could sense the vulnerability that was there, um, but I also think that they could sense uh, the bitterness, the unforgiveness. And, you know, unforgiveness, in, in my opinion, and, and especially in my life, is not a, you know, when you say I'm not going to forgive somebody, it doesn't make you strong. It doesn't make you look tough. It reveals an area of weakness that the enemy is going to attack 100%. Right. And right. So I, he used somebody yeah. to do that. Right. And I, I sometimes, when I look at forgiveness at different things, and I want to stay on topic here, but that's a good thing to talk about, is people think you're just going to say, oh, I forgive you and everything's all better. Just like if you do something wrong, oh, I repent and we're all better. No, there's a process of repentance. There's a process of healing, growing, learning from it, not doing it again. I also think in forgiveness, there's a process that we need to go through, guided by the Lord, based on scripture, to how to properly forgive. Because you'll even see basic things. Oh, well, I forgave, but I don't forget. Okay, I see that. I hear that. But I think in true forgiveness, there's a process that we need to go through. And each person's process, based on what they've experienced, takes a different amount of time. Yeah, it does. And it's taken me a long time. It took me a long time before I began to address it. And, you know, I'd, I would wind up getting married two years after that situation ended at 18 years old. And I told my wife about all that stuff before we got married. I told her about it. and um, But I didn't really understand how it affected me. Like, I, I can't, right. I couldn't look at it and tell you the things that I see now looking back uh, as a man, how it affected mm-hmm. me as a boy. I couldn't tell you then what I could tell you now. And, right. and so, you know, I, I told her about it and I shared it with her, but I couldn't really share how it affected me. I didn't know that it had really jacked up my whole perspective of what a true, right. healthy, godly yeah, relationship Yeah, because you're still in the like. process of looking oh, for healing, tough. it sounds like, even when you yeah. got married. So, so to go back to the the woman who victimized you when you were, you're 50, 16, right? 16 years old? 15, yeah. 15, yeah. About a year. Now, and how did, how did you get away from that? If you don't mind me asking her, how were so you? So as soon as I got my license and I got a vehicle to drive, I started going to a different church and to get away from the one where I had, you know, all the people that knew all the people. It was, and it was a small church, like Ooh. 75, 76 people is all the building could hold. And Sunday night services were about 12 or 15 people and uh, maybe 20. But, you know, I started going to a different church and I remember she got upset because I had a girl that I was talking to at high school and she didn't want me talking to anybody else. And uh, something else happened. I forget what it was. It was stupid. And so I'd I'd gone to church that it was on a Wednesday night. And I locked my keys in my vehicle, and I, I didn't mean to. And I called my dad, and I was like, hey, Dad, can you come around here and unlock my car for me? I locked my keys up, and he came around, and I um, I got in his, in his truck, and it was a wrecker. And I got in the wrecker, and I locked the door, and I was like, I got to tell you something. I think I'm in big trouble, and I need help. 
and his first mm-hmm. his first words were words that I, I can't repeat on a platform like this because he was oh I, I could as a dad I could imagine it's yeah. okay <laughs> he was I, we hear and everyone listening hears you okay yeah, I mean they, we, they get we, it yeah. and uh, and then the second it. move was to protect me and mm-hmm. and he was like I I vividly remember him saying I've got to protect you and wow. um, man I can't tell you what that meant to me. And he immediately took me to his house and began doing work to protect me. And so I, uh, that really began a place of healing for me where mm-hmm. I could start having somewhat of a normal life and normal childhood. I didn't go back to that place, that church, mm-hmm. for a long time until we got married there at 18. And wow. uh, because of family stuff, and so that's where we were married. There was by we're going. You know, my granddad was going to pay for it, and he was going to church there, and then he would pass away a few years later. But uh, yeah, it's, it was. I finally got away from it, and I'm thankful that I did. Right now, I want to I want to take something there for the listeners because there may be someone listening to this who is currently being abused, either sexually, mentally, or physically. And the one point I want to pull from there right now is it's not your fault and there's protection for you. So if there's anyone listening to um, Adam's story, which is, it, let's be honest, it's a tough story. You know, it's, it's a hard one for us to hear, but both men and women, children, adults, if any of you are going through any type of abuse or being abused, reach out for the help because it's there for you. And there are people that will rush in like your dad rushed in and helped mm-hmm. you and give you that prote- protection. You know, and the protection's a lot heavier sometimes. It's the law. It's a lot of other people that will come in. But if you're listening to this and, and you're saying, this is me, reach out like Adam did to his dad and let someone protect you and guide you through the process. Don't go at it alone. You know, I just had to throw that out there, bro. Absolutely. A lot of yeah. You don't have to live in that. There is a way out and there are people who will protect you. Um, and don't, okay, don't so, let the fear stop you from making that call. Yes, sir. Yet, yeah, No, I agree. And also, and like I said, you know, I'm not quote promoting your book, but I think in your book on Concord, there is going to be a lot of great information for people that are struggling, have struggled, currently struggling, that can pull that out, you know, and, and help walk them through the process, which I always tell people, a book is amazing, it's good, it's testimony, but if a book can also get you to the help that you need and stuff to begin healing, it's a good thing. So, Absolutely. All right, bro, so we've got these horrible traumas in your past, these bad issues that have not been addressed. And then you're moving forward in life to become a police officer. How old were you when you uh, moved into law enforcement? I was about 28 when I swore in. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, no, I was 27 when I swore in. I was about to be 28, I believe. And so I was pretty young. I was still pretty young. And I had, I'd gone through a lot in my 20s and, um, And so, twenty-eight years old, twenty-seven, something like that, when I started and and got into got into law enforcement, went to the academy a few months later, down in Mobile, Alabama, and yeah. and, now, and loved how, every minute of it. Right? Oh yeah, no. I mean, there, 
I just, you know, I always joke, you know, cops and firemen, we go back and forth all the time. And I started as a fireman when I was 18 years old. So I started pretty darn young and stuff as a volunteer that moved in to the career side. So I love joking back and forth with my cop buddies and stuff. But at the end of the day, serving others, just being able to serve others is such a blessing. And, you know, we all see the rhetoric all the time that comes mm-hmm. in. Like if it's a large fire, the firemen messed up. If, you know, something happened and the outcome wasn't right on the police department side, all the cops are bad, things like that. But even what the coolest thing is about public service is when you put that aside and you realize you're getting to help people, it's such a blessing. But, you know me, with that being said, when you're in public service, especially in the roles of police officer, and you responded to a rough scene, regardless of what it was, what would that do to you, man? Especially dealing with all the stuff you had to deal with in your uh, childhood and teen years. Yep, I would I would bottle it up and I'd put on a mask and I'd put on a show because that's, you know, it was a, it was an act. You know, you put on a show, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I remember we had a week-long hostage situation, and and shortly thereafter they brought us in for a debrief, right? And then the debrief they they brought in our uh, the, they brought in the doctor, and then they brought in a mm-hmm. lieutenant, a sergeant, and then our peers, and then they asked mm-hmm. us if we were all good or having any issues. We, I remember <laughs> we all kind of looked at each other. We we're like, "Oh, we're good. We're good." But I would go home and I would drink. I would mix up a drink or I'd drink a case of beer or whatever. I'd drink and I'd make it numb. I'd make it feel better again. Yeah, and I I hope there's public service people listening to this because it falls on the fire department side too. I'll be honest, when I was brand new in West Oakland at one of the busiest firefighting houses on the West Coast, and, you know, Oakland is loaded with good people, but the bad people in my neighborhood were really bad people, you know. And I remember we'd come back from a tragic incident and – I would look around and all the old dudes would just go to bed, right? I'm like, bro, we're just on a fire with three fatalities. I'm, I'm a young man. And then it was the, the suck it up era because, I mean, these guys were heroes. They're incredible, strong men. But what I started to find was you had the firehouse drunk who was funny. Not that I'm saying we're drinking on duty, but, you know, off duty, the drunk yeah. guy always telling stories at the bar. So then I started looking around and a ton of these dudes were divorced. Then I started looking around, and the way they talked about their spouses, even though we joke at the firehouse table, the way they joked, it was very intentional and dark in a way I didn't like. Like with me, when I joke, I go, bro, I'm the idiot. Christy, my wife, is the one who carries me through because I know that. But I just saw with these guys not being treated how bad it was, and I didn't realize that was happening to me. So when we would come back from a major incident and we had the debriefers there too, it was a sign of weakness if we said, yeah, Doc, Mm -hmm. I'm actually feeling those things you're talking about. It was like, nope, we're good. Get out of our foxhole. You don't belong here. (laughs) And and on a side note, this is is why I'm so down with with educators teaching us to do peer counseling first, you know, to break that barrier and stuff. Because if you bring a doctor into a West Oakland firehouse – We're going to be kind. We're going to serve you a nice meal, but you ain't infiltrating this true foxhole. You've not Mm -hmm. gone to battle with us. But if they can pull those of us off to the side and train us to walk into that foxhole, you know, in the police or fire side, that's where differences can be made. And then guys can also go above and beyond and start getting that that medical help that they need from the doctors. You know, do you you kind of agree with that? No, yeah, it's yeah. very effective, and and that's essentially one of the things that I do. I just come in as a peer. I'm a brother. I'm not a 
chaplain. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm just a brother. I'm another guy. And, you know, I remember some of the brothers I served with, you know, they, they, you know, I remember one sergeant come up to me one time and he was, I was rookie. You know, it's like, what are you doing in here? And I was telling him I was doing paperwork for an arrest I'd made. And he was, and I was like, I'm about to head out to lunch and eat with my wife. And he was like, oh, you're married. How long have you been married? And I told him how, how long at the time. And he was like, oh, well, you, you know, I give it like six months, maybe. He was like, right. you're not a real cop. Right. You've been married at least two or three times. And, and they were, you know, they were always advocating to find me a new wife. And I'm like, I love the one I've got, man. But, right. you know, I let, right. I let that stuff turn it, me into to somebody I didn't want to be. It does. And, and because what people that don't work in our lines of work don't understand is it's not like you just turn it off when you go home. And I know all lines of work, they come home and bring their work and they stressors and everything with you. But when you're sitting face to face day in, day out, looking at what at the manifestation of what true evil can do to another human being and oh, stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you come home and it's like, yo, daddy's home. Oh, my husband's home. And 20 minutes before you were just not only witnessing that. Now you're writing it and you're ingraining it in your brain and your soul, if you will. And then you walk home and have to shut it off. How do yeah. you do that? You know, and I know we're asking questions that we're, we could spend, yeah. you know, eight hours in a conference just <laughs> touching the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah, our world's a deal with that. But, bro, let's keep it real. That's the struggle and why the divorce rates it come is. up and everything and why books like you and your testimony are so needed. And with that, I'm going to throw some personal stuff out there because you know how I like to just ramble and go places. Let's talk about you sharing your struggles and sharing this with other people. I know it blesses them, but I know for a fact me sharing my story also put me under the microscope and brought a lot of stressors in. Did you find when you started sharing your story at you know, the large speaking events you do and through your multiple books that you published, did you find that opening your life up to the world kind of, let's keep it real, sucked at times? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it still does at times because, right. you know, you'll hear some people say, we don't want you to share your faith. We don't want to hear about your faith. Or you hear some, well, we want you to share about your faith, but not that much, you know, and, uh, we, we want you to share your story, but not that much, you know, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I remember writing the book and going through the PR process. They were lining up TV interviews or whatever. And they were like, Hey, instead of rape and sodomy, can we use something a little different like sexual abuse or something so it's not as offensive to the producer right. booking agents? I'm like, bro, I promise you, it's not, it's not, never going to be as offensive to them as it was to me. And so, right. you know, it's a hard story, but I think that's one of the things that we try to do. We try to avoid the hard places in life instead of like facing it, embracing it, dealing with it and moving on so we can heal, ignoring it. It's just, it's still there. You got to deal with it. Right. And so, yeah, I face right. that quite a bit. I do. And I, and I get up and I go because there's always one more that I've been given an opportunity to, to reach in some way. And that's worth it. They're worth it. Right. Like when I was writing my book and I was actually talking about my suicide and, and, you know, I mean, I was literally just moments away from hitting the point of no return when someone entered my life, you know, and that the Lord sent to me to, to talk to me and, and, you know, show me the light and stuff. But I was also told when writing my book, oh, let's not go as heavy there because you may trigger people. I'm like, bro, 
I get triggers. I get all that. And that's a whole other story because I believe you need to learn to control your triggers. You really do. And I believe some people need to not be triggered, but go, that's me. That's what I'm feeling. And the beauty out is I think when we stood strong a little bit with the publishers on that, and then you get the firefighters and the paramedics and just general people go, thank you for putting that in there. Because what you were feeling, you spoke in a way I couldn't speak. And the reason it happened was because I was writing from a place now where the Lord was like, use your story to bless others. Now, don't get me wrong. The the couple of years following, I was not in a place, and I know you were not in a place either to write about it. But I do believe we need to tell the tough stories and not soften them down so it touches other people and gets them the help they need. Are you in agreement on that? People that are hurt are always going to criticize. I mean, and and people that are self-righteous are going to criticize because they're comparing stories and sources of pain instead of looking at pain for what it is. We're connected by our stories. We're connected by Mm -hmm. our pain. What disconnects us is how we respond to it. And if we all chose to respond to it the right way, then that br- that brings us together. And that's what right. brings real unity is when we say, okay, there's an issue. Let's do it together. Let's fight this together so that we can see healing and renewed relationships and, and people have a purpose restored in their life again. Right. Now, let's talk about healing and and you know i don't i don't want to leave people with oh okay just go buy the book and you'll find all the stories there you know which i want (laughs) them to do by all means but but let's let's talk about some ways that you've been to overcome and live unconquered because let's be honest what you went through in a worldly view should have conquered you it should have taken you down you should not be where you are so let's talk about Unconquered, man. Give the audience some uh, hope if they're going yeah. through some struggles, how they can live Unconquered. Yeah, and, and I've said it several times already. The first thing you've got to do is acknowledge the pain. Acknowledge the pain that exists in your life and don't pretend to ignore it anymore. But don't just stop there. Seek the heavenly healer. There is healing available. And, you know, I believe God has strategically placed qualified professionals in our lives, peer teams in our lives, brothers and sisters in our lives Mm -hmm. to walk with us through these places. And number two for me is uh, is forgive. Forgiveness is not for the offender. It's for you. It's the key to freedom for you. It's the beginning of healing for you. And and refusing to forgive really opens you up to more places where the where the enemy can hurt you even more. It's going to expose you to more pain more bitterness, more resentment, and it's going to create more damage in relationships and in your life that is going to cause more pain. And so that's really important. Number three, and I'm not going to hit all 10, but I'll just give you the the highlights. But I think number three for me is surrender. You know, I could put this in a really intellectual way and make it sound really smart, like I'm like I'm some kind of, you know, great writer. But it's really simple, and that is surrender every single day and every single moment to Jesus because I would not be here today if it were not for him. You know, there's going to be a lot of people who don't care about your story or about your pain, but there's one who does and his name is Jesus. And I want you to start every single day with, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do this in my own strength or my own power. I need you. And he's going to strengthen you. I can't guarantee you a lot of things, but I can guarantee if you call on the name of the living God, that he will come to your rescue. He will come to your side. He will come to your aid and he will see to it that you're healed. If you'll surrender him every burden, every hurt, every pain and stop trying to take it back from him. That's what I say. I mean, yeah, we've got wounds. We've got some bruises. We've got some scars along the way, but put your, your right hand over your heart. And if you still feel that beat, you're in the fight. And as long as you're in the fight, you're not beat. 
You're not out. You're not down. You're not out of the fight. You're still unconquered. And with him, you get to live unconquered and you get to die unconquered. And do something Amen, with it. Brother. Do something with it. Amen. That's so good. And I love that so much because once we, we surrender to him, and even when the pain comes back, like like with me, I broke my back, I broke my hip, it healed, right? The doctors got it the best they can, but there's certain it's like, oh golly, I twist a certain way and it really hurts. Well, also with the pain of my past, something happens. We're still living in the flesh. The flesh is yeah. still hurting and everything, and it will come back and it'll hurt. And it might be us. But then when all of a sudden the devil recognizes that it's us kind of reliving it in our head, boy, he loves to come attack. But like oh, you yeah. say, when you surrender to Jesus, it's not like it's one and done. Jesus is walking with you the remainder day, of your time on this fallen earth. And he's going to come back in and he's going to walk you through that pain. And he's again going to help you through it. So he's here. He doesn't go away. When People say, so Jason, the day you became a Christian, did your life get all better? And it was everything better. Like, no, things still sucked. But hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. I now have, number one, the most important thing, eternal hope. Amen. Number two, the pain. I'm. It's been conquered, right? So like you, I'm now living unconquered, which I just love that. And I'm going to make sure that you don't sue me because I'm going to start using this a lot more in my writings, bro. But you can dig into my books and still something. But, but truthfully said, being unconquered means we have someone who's already won the war, who fights our battles. Come on now. I mean, that that's yeah. what it's all about. Bro, yeah. I, having you on this show has been such a blessing. And like many of my guests, we just touch, I mean, just the tip of the iceberg of who you are, what you are, your story and everything. And if you could do me a favor for those that are going to watch on video, hold up your book and read me the title and the Absolutely. tagline and tell people where they can find it and more of you. Yeah. So, Unconquered, 10 Principles to Overcome Adversity and Live Above Defeat. Um, this is the probably the most challenging work I've done to date, but it's been the most rewarding. And you can go to unconqueredbook.com. It's on Amazon, anywhere books are sold. But if you want to go to the website, check it out, get more information, contact me. I'd love to hear from you. But this is for every single person who's ever silently dealt with pain. You've ever felt like you feel defeated, you're done, this is for you. Uh, and you know what? Use it. Use your story. Use the pain. Use it for good because God has a plan for you. Long, long, long before the pain came into your life, he's got a plan for you. And if you give it to him, he'll use it. Yep. And all the information will be down in the notes for you listeners to check out. Adam. Thank you so much for coming on and spending this time. I know for a fact this conversation is going to I hope you found this episode as encouraging as I did. Be sure to click the like, subscribe, or whatever button you see that will notify you of future shows because we have some awesome guests lined up that you're not going to want to miss. Until next week, remember this, my friends. Jesus is all we need. I love you guys. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. So head on over to lifeaudio.com and check them out. Hey, Ted, what do you want to do today? Well, Ashley, I've always got uh, work to do, naps to take. But I have a better idea. How about we invite everyone to listen to the Team Us podcast? I love that idea. Let's do it right now. 
Hi everyone, we're Ted and Ashley Slater, and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about teamwork in marriage. We share how grace, commitment, and cooperation can help couples live the everyday moments of marriage together. To listen, go to lifeaudio.com and search for Team Us.